Hi there, Glocal citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Adu, coming to you with part two of my conversation with Michelle Chikonda. She is an award-winning nonfiction writer, teacher, and avid traveler. She is currently a graduate student at the University of East Anglia School of Literature, Drama, and Creative Writing, studying biography and creative nonfiction. She has won the Literary Award for Narrative Nonfiction of the Tucson Festival of Books, the Stephen J. Maringoff Award for Nonfiction of the Association of Literary Scholars, Critics, and Writers, and the Archie D. and Bertha H. Walker Scholarship for Writers of Color from the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. In 2015, she was nominated for the Pushcart Prize by the Oracle Fine Arts Review, and in 2020, she was longlisted for the inaugural Toyin Falola Prize for Emerging African Writers and was published in the prize's anthology In the Sands of Time this year in 2022. A contributing editor for nonfiction at Electric Literature. She is also currently published at Al Jazeera, The Globe and Mail, Catapult, The Broad Street Review, Business Insider, and Africa is a Country, among others. We're picking up the conversation with Michelle telling us a little bit about where her craft is going to take her in the coming years. Okay, so you are now actually finally studying full-on, straight-on writing, narrative writing, yes. and you're you're continuing to write and all of that. And so when you think about what's next and, and how you're now yeah. going to translate this into the next phase of your career, what do, what do you see? What is it what does that look like for you? You know, that that's such a good question because of course for you know both for the purposes of our conversation and like for my life, that's that's multifactorial, right? And so where I am is influenced by where I want to be situated geographically with respect to mainly my mother mm. back home in Maui. And, but it'll also be, you know, as I said, like part of my work here is to sort of like reflect on my American experience after mm. 20 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. you know, in America, because I knew that, you know, in the US, like when you talk about, you know, all the various like racism and all the various their racialized history over, you know, 400 years and whatnot, it, you realize as somebody who moved there, essentially, I mean, I was born there, but then I left when I was little and only came back to re-inhabit there, you know, the extent to which that the real issue that America struggles with, it feels so banal and it's not, it's like, what it is to be black in America. Like you are black in America and that's it. And it doesn't, you know, it's not like, you know, I think some people try to paint it like, well, like, you know, it's just, you know, after 400 years, the African-Americans haven't assimilated. I'm like, yes, but these issues are still are applying to people who came over as immigrants. Like you all need to, you all need to think about this correctly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think for me being tied into the American experiment by virtue of my birth and that's it. And, you know, America is one of the few places in the world where you do get or are entitled to by birth, right. citizenship by birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I do feel that a, a certain, I wouldn't quite say, yeah, responsibility, right? And not responsibility, but I feel like I'm tied into that project, whether or not I like it. And it's something that is important for me to wrestle with and understand and find my place in it. But sometimes you have to leave, you have to leave home to come back. Right. And so, you you know, and I don't I don't know when when the U.S. is my future again or how that or how that even looks, you know, for other people. You know, it's it's a you know, that I've met, you know, folks that I met at Peja, for example, for whom it'll always just be a place to visit and it'll never again be a place to live. Mm. Um, and other people, it's like, well, maybe I'll move back if I have, you know, family, blah, blah, that sort of thing. For me, though, you know, I'm already near the first term, the end of the first term of my writing program. I mean, this is a really quick thing. I'm already talking with my program director about the what next. I've been thinking about expanding this out to a PhD because Mm -hmm. the thesis for this, for the master's is not a book length thesis. And I would like to finish a book. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and the PhD here allows for that. It is also a shorter PhD program than American ones and teaching is not required. Generally speaking for American PhDs, teaching is required. It's structured right. into funding, yes. the funding uh, offer. And it's also the American PhDs assume that you intend to go into academia afterwards for which teaching training is necessary. Mm-hmm. You can't te- PhDs don't 
necessarily, you know, it seems more, at least according to the people I spoke with, you know, last week, that it's more about like, do you have something you really are just itching to study and get to the bottom of? And does it make sense to do that study here within the confines of the university? And so that's something I'm looking at. I'm also looking at just saying, you know what, got my master's, kept it real good <laughs> and, and uh, get back into the workforce and, you know, go and, you know, go and work, work here for a few years at an ideally very global company. Um, and not just mm-hmm. because of a company that has a global outlook, but literally because one of the great perks at Penn of my job was being able to travel mm-hmm. and, you know, and being able, you know, being able to go to a city where you had friends and our family and whatnot and uh, do that on Penn's time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <very cool. laughs> right. But like also, you know, like if I, you know, travel being really important to me, it is nice when someone else is paying for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly if someone else is paying for it, it also like being very technical and frank, it means you're, you will much faster get to the various, like whatever statuses and such like that, that mm-hmm. can make travel comfortable when you're traveling at that volume right you know right um it's just nice to be able to go into shorter lines and i don't know go yeah sit yeah have a meal <laughs> shower. yeah exactly <laughs> when you're just like constantly on airplanes i mean you're just getting yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that's also what's nice about like let's keep it real keep, yeah. you know, keep it about right and yeah and so that's also what is nice about working for companies that sure for which travel built in sure um and then that makes it a lot easier to travel personally i mean i you know working you know when i was working at penn i put all my travel on my you know personal travel cards that meant a lot of points like i like Mm -hmm. i places like deeply discounted or or effect or free you know like where yeah you know either the flight i paid for with points or the hotel i paid for with points or both were paid for with points and basically I was just paying my my food costs and that was all work travel. You know? Right. Yeah, right. I was right. like, I wonder there are there are companies that have started to close that arbitrage. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, I know. Like, I, yeah. like strictly speaking, <laughs> like, you know <laughs> there are a bad I, HR move. They should stop. That. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Idea. I mean, but I mean they should really, you know, what I was what I was saying like with my with my job is like, listen, first especially for our more grueling travel seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the Penn Alumni Interview Program is basically the, we we talk to alumni who, talk to the alumni who conduct interviews for students applying mm-hmm. to Penn. Mm-hmm. Our travel season, at least, you know, pre-COVID coincided then with the admissions travel season. So it's really intense and you're constantly, you're sure. living out of A your little roller bag. And at some point you actually, you don't realize you can get tired of, of hotels, but you get tired of hotels and you just want to go home and sleep mm-hmm. in your own bed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. one of the perks is like, well, at least I'm going to get all these points. <laughs> so, like, no, and so you, so you, right, right, exactly. You know, it's the peril, like travel, you know, you get sick on planes, anything can happen. Yeah. So you oh, need I to have to some perks. Yeah. Right. I would contract filthy, like colds and rhinoviruses right after intense. Right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. out you know and then sometimes like you know just like travel hiccups you know, things go wrong and like you know people are stressing you out or somebody didn't set up the projector at the event location and now you gotta like <laughs> figure out I mean, when yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's, it's stressful <laughs> so like if if you know with those points on those cards i can get a trip to lisbon like i don't mind <laughs> There you go. So, there you go. So yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. um. So that's the other possible plan too. I'm. I guess that's to say I'm really open. Uh-huh. I think the last few years taught me to be flexible about what I want my plan to be versus how things will play out. Like regardless, I do want to be like one overnight flight away from my parents at the, or my mom at mm-hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, you know. So that sort of rules out living, say like moving to Canada where my brother and sister are, or like moving to wherever you know. For example, Singapore. We actually do have several friends who live there now. Um, yeah. In part, Singapore is actually really well connected, flight-wise, and everything. It's not. It's not difficult to get to other parts of the world, but it is far. Yeah. Right. It is. It is. It is. You know. Yeah. It's far. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of the plan. But the the larger idea is that I do want in the next year or two to finish finish a book. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll absolutely be on this general topic area of mm-hmm. I, I'm I am realizing like through the stuff I'm submitting in this program it really almost does have to be travel focused you know mm-hmm. um, is um, 
because that's how my whole life has, the majority of my life has been defined by these migratory movements and by airports and airlines, you know. Mm. Um, I used phrase in class last week about, you know, British Airways was our family airline and they messed up and, you know, then they messed up and we don't like them anymore. And- um, Hello, exactly, yeah. for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like but my classmate pointed out, she's like, but you, do you see that though, Michelle? Like you all have a, literally have a family airline. So many people, that's not their experience. Right, exactly. I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much of what you said and, and listeners, if you, when you look up Michelle, you're going to get a lot of these hacks because she's she's a writer. So she's written about a lot of these things. So I think that that's, that's also very valuable. So when you think about how, just kind of helping the, the listeners know a little bit more about your writing style and how you communicate very much the way that you're speaking, very much, you know, to the point, but you, the, the way that you weave in life with larger stories, right? You know, the larger context of what's going on is 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 very, I want to say, impactful in that sense. And so when you think about the travel stories that you will ultimately culminate in this book, and just generally as you continue to write and grow, besides the theme that you're working on now, are there other themes that you have come to mind already that you, you know, you have a list that you, that's going, it's like, I'm going to write about that? Um, first of all, thank you for your comments about my work. I really do appreciate it when when anybody reads it, it's, you know, um, <laughs> you know, is that you, you you know when you put things out there and publish them that okay, this is meant for an audience, but still you you have this part of voice. He's like, is anybody going to read it and connect with it? And I really love hearing it when when people do and appreciate that. One of the themes I have, um, I'm going to try and work on actually for probably one of my term papers here. There's two themes, so two term papers for each class and two themes. The one that I started on, that I submitted a draft, was that a question of of rest. And specifically, but that was in a travel setting because I'd gone to Lisbon with those points and I had done the most, I had done too much. And I came back exhausted. I came back tired and achy. I came back also a little bit cranky because so many of the tours there, except for the one Africa and Lisbon tour I went to on my last day, really weirdly glorify yes. Portugal's previous empire history of empire very strange it's almost like they're angry that they don't get included in the list of great empire absolutely they, they are actually that right? is the story and that right. is the that is the experience that i understand from my friends who are african portuguese so they're yeah. they're they're those that are coming from from guinea and live there and, and that is their experience is that they really yeah they really yeah. do that and so i got very fortunate I had a fellow writer friend who happened to have been in lisbon a couple weeks before and posted on Instagram about this Africa and Lisbon tour that she went on that was phenomenal. And I did that one on the last day and that sort of- Redeemed. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, really though? Yeah. You know, and uh, and so I came back, Frank, and I realized I hadn't given myself space to rest. I treated that trip like work, like Mm -hmm. so many tours, Mm -hmm. proving that I've done vacation well, but hadn't just like rested. And so I wrote about in this essay about the experience of going to Puerto Rico a couple of weeks later, super last minute trip, but I was determined to prove to myself that I could rest. And it was hard. And I'm in this essay, I write about like, you know, looking like a parody of myself because all of my rest related accoutrements were, were work branded. So it was a pen ah. branded <laughs> and it was a pen branded embarrassed work retreats. It was a pen branded like tote bag. <laughs> I will rest, but I look like a branding like right. But it was hard to make myself sit there. And so in this essay, I reflect on that. I reflect on how hard it was for me. I, I then pivot to my father, who had notorious problems with ever taking a vacation. We used to joke that even when it looks like he's he's chilling out in a picture, he's actually doing a deal under the table on his phone. <laughs> you know, I mean, when he was in hospital, he literally he would have me go to Staples and be like, "Can you just can you go print out that contract and bring that back so I wow. can find it?" The nurses are telling you to rest, and he's like, "Yes, but that needs to be in by Monday and today's Saturday. If you just go to Staples and print that out, here's the sure. USB." <laughs> you know, yeah. But then, in the larger sense too, I reflect in this piece about rest for people in people in black 
bodies. Mm. I had gone to a conference right after getting back from Lisbon, where like for black and you know people, you know black and pe- black people and people of color who work in the admissions and financial office, a financial aid fields in in the in U.S. higher education institutions, and one of the folks had said, you know, you need to be sure to. We were brought here to work. So you need to be sure to take your rest because they're not going to give it to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and really underscoring that, you know, in the U.S., because the original, you know, the arrival of first black people, these black people that we know of are on record, was framed by work. They were brought there to work. They were brought there to be slaves. Like that is still an embedded expectation in how U.S. society is structured. Yeah. And so in essay, I also reflect on that and connect it back to my experience in Lisbon, mm-hmm. you know, who again kind of get away with, you know, not owning their role, the extent of their role in, you know, the in the transatlantic slave trade, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, and so that's sort of the, you know, that's something I'm reflecting on, like what, you know, I talk about rest. I'm also largely talking about like, you know, self ownership, sure. you know, um, talking about, you know, trying to get away from the need to prove your worth in a space. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. when we were immigrants in the US and Canada, definitely there's that pressure to mm-hmm. like be you know twice as hard for half as much. You need to outdo people. You need to sometimes, you know, take your insults without complaint, you know. Mm-hmm. If they've mm-hmm. accepted us here, then we need to prove that we're the best Americans, the best mm-hmm. Canadians, you know. And really in adulthood wanting to get away from that. Sure. I don't need to prove my right to be that being me is enough, you know, being us is enough. Mm-hmm. And so there is that thread. Um, but I'm also within that same, loosely, loosely that within that same realm, I'm probably in the spring for one of my classes going to be, and then we'll turn it into a longer, longer form essay as well, writing about the question of home. Mm. Like what is mm-hmm. home and like home is always moved. You know, what's home when you like me, I only really learned my home language when starting from age 35. Right, you know? right, you know? right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's home when you are, you know, in a country, you know, in the U.S. and you're like, yeah, I'm an American. And then everything in the summer of 2020 happened when you have the president of the United States telling an elected representative of Congress, you know, Ilana Omar, to go back where she comes from, yeah. even though she's an American citizen. What? How do you understand home then? Sure. And sure. So or when your when your homeland is is attacking you because you want your freedom, as yeah. in Iran now, and you know, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Or like you know, I mean, Malawi, like part of the like we ended up in the U.S. because we had a dictatorship, and that's a really difficult thing to like. Pe- pe- people still don't really talk about it yeah. until very, very, very recently. I, you know, four years ago, I would not have said out loud on a podcast and I'm a dual citizen, but like we had laws mm. against dual yet. The only reason the dual citizens that we that do exist is because people left during the dictatorship so they wouldn't die. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Like yeah. let's yeah. be honest about this. Like if anything, you should be saying like we're the first ones to say dual citizenship because we want to encourage people who either whose parents left or who they left for various reasons that they should come back and not be afraid of retaining their feet in both lands. We're acknowledging mm-hmm. that we had this incredibly violent, oppressive past. Right. But unfortunately in Malawi too, we suffer from a failure to really uh, take owner, take stock of what happened. And because what happened occurred in the immediate wake of colonialism, I think it is very easy to say, well, our problems are, are all because of that. And not necessarily to take a closer look at the um, the human failings that are the the that, reason. And yes, the human failings that occurred between you know the end of colonialism, the beginning of the independence era, and the beginning of the democratic era. Yeah, you know, um, and you know, it's not just us at fault. Like you know, we if you look at when so many of these countries around the world, but we, I mean, I'm focused. I care about Africa. Mm-hmm. Looking at that, when they got their "quote unquote" democracy, it was right after the fall of the Berlin Wall. So there were real functional reasons as well why mm. were, they maintained those states because they had been bankrolled by various sides who were trying to side mm-hmm. mm-hmm. on their side. Mm-hmm. Once the fall of the Berlin Wall happened, suddenly this isn't necessary anymore. Right. You know, suddenly Nelson Mandela is no longer classified as a terrorist by the 
government. Yeah. Apartheid in 1991. You get some up 94. South Africa first democratic elections, 94. Kenya, I think it was, Zambia, I think it was 92. Kenya might have been 92. You know, and so you sort of start seeing these things happening after 30 years of autocratic rule. And and so being honest, I think it's it would be very difficult when I say I choose to live in, not in Malawi or choose to live in the UK or the US because I'm the person who wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But there are people, you know. Who don't want to hear you talking about it. Nope. <laughs> and you know that you know i like i like to joke sometimes i joke sometimes with like guys huh? if you ever hear that i got into i was put in a quote-unquote car accident you just know that i made the wrong people angry <laughs> right um, that's i mean that's the challenge of being an activist writer you know and so it's really taking the decision that that is the story that you really want to liberate and so i, I always just give great credit to writers who take the chance to tell these stories that people might not want them to tell, you know? And so as a nonfiction writer, that's kind of the, the place where you ultimately will end up straddling as you develop and put these books out and things like that. So get ready. We're ready. We're ready to come. I mean, and you know, that there was a time when the, the, the pan like early and kind of the Pan-African movement where, where we could go to our neighbors, you know, Kwame Nkrumah went to neighboring countries and that kind of thing because we could. And so yeah. let's hope we have safe havens for each other. With, with I hope so. Like, actually, I mean, for my um, thesis, um, my undergraduate thesis, when I had compromised and said I was going to be an international relations major, I did focus on sub-Saharan Africa. And so my, my thesis was actually focused on the organization of African unity mm. and why it all failed, because that was the beginning of, you know, around that time, it was like early 2000s, the beginning of the earliest rumblings of the African Union. And mm. so, but in order to about the OAU and why it failed. Of course, now you're studying that whole actually immediate post-independence era. So yes, the Nkrumahs, the Julius Nyerere's, the, yes. you know, I mean, the Vandas, like all of these guys, you know, they, for a while, there was briefly this, uh, you know, moment of unity. I mean, I remember some years ago being at home in Malawi and the Zambian president was visiting Malawi, I think. And so we were listening to one of the ceremonies on the radio and the Zambian national anthem came on, which has this, it's the exact same yes. tune as the South African national anthem. And I asked dad, I was like, wait, why? Why is that the case? And he said, oh, Mimi, for a brief time, and he remembered this, like when I was little, we had an African na- national anthem, you know, like, you know, that, I mean, South yeah. Africa is God bless Africa. It's Africa. God bless Africa. It's not God yeah. bless South Africa, you know? For a brief moment, we really were like, okay, we're going to be unified. And then, and then things happen. <laughs> your political life happens. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you about mindset, because we're kind of talking about that a little bit. And so I'll ask you my mindset hack. So what is your favorite or an innovative, one that you practice, one that you know of, a mindset hack? Oh, man, that is really... Okay, well, I will start with writing, and then mm-hmm. that'll, like, you know, lead out to, like, sort of life with writing in order to for me to allow my emotions to come out more unfettered on the page i have to trick my mind into thinking this is just a draft and i'm going to edit it so i actually really struggle to write first drafts on my laptop on my desktop computer because it is that's too intimidating so for a long time i actually used to write all my pieces by hand mm. and actually my first that first uh prize-winning essay was entirely written by hand at this IHOP in downtown Philadelphia that was open until two o'clock in the morning. For your international listeners, that is the International House of Pancakes. It is a chain diner with, with decent pancakes, yeah. um, but unlimited coffee, which is very important for writers. It was the only place that was open until 2.30 in the morning. And I could only write at the time, like late nights were my writing time. And they were, I could see the staff whispering, she's still here. In my mind, I was like, when I win the Pulitzer, my picture is going to be up on that wall. So y'all need to <laughs> Bring that coffee on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but transcribing written work like, is just so time consuming. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I flipped over to writing on my iPad and I just downloaded like Google, Doc, Google Docs. And so the tablet functions as a sort of like, oh, this is, you know, I'm just, I'm just in the cafe, whatever. Mm. And that's actually where I've gotten some of my best writing work done. Like, you know, um, because that that tells my mind, oh, this you know, this isn't that serious. Sure. And the paradox is that then because it's like, oh, this isn't that serious. Actually, the real work. The flow go. Flows. 
yeah mm-hmm. general general life hacks maybe we'll do more like like travel hacks i think because i spent mm. so much of my time mm-hmm. so much of my time traveling mm-hmm. so like at london at heathrow for example because i spent a lot of time there and i have actually spent a lot of time there because you know going to malawi you, you, it's two to three flights no matter how you slice it and mm. so you sort of pick what city you want to transit through. Yeah. If, you know, all prices being approximately equal was generally at that distance, they are plus or minus 30 pounds, $30 here or there. So I usually chose London because I had have friends here. And so I would transit through here. We'd meet for tea, coffee, lunch, drinks, and then I'd go back to the airport and, and, and go on. For London Heathrow, you never want to, when you arrive on the tube at the train station, never take the first elevator up. It is chaos. It is, it is, it is a, it is a like, wait for the next one. And if you really want to be a life hack, the elevator shafts are all glass. So just look up and look for the very next one where the cables are starting to slacken. Sure. That's the next one that's coming up. You'll be first in line. All the other chaos will have left with the first yeah. one or two elevators. <laughs> Like non like crowded like no 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 these wheels leaning leaning over your foot etc. Sure. Yeah, you always want to go through the south security gates rather than north ones. If they're open. Oh, that's true. You're right though because they do close them sometimes. They know that too. Yeah. Yeah, they know that. I mean, I had, you know, I all best plans. You get there early. The last two times I went through Heathrow. One of them was closed, south was closed once, north was closed the other. And it was to an hour plus because, I mean, wow. and all of, well, I'll say, I'll say this, it's Brexit. There were yeah. no workers. So all summer plants this summer, even into the fall, no workers because you decided you didn't want the people who actually will do that kind of work yeah. around. Isn't that the truth? Let me tell you what, like people, uh, when Brexit happened, I was like, oh, maybe I should think about moving to the UK in a few years because I I saw that coming down the pike. And part of my ability to easily state, oh, I'll stay here and work is because if you do a master's or PhD here, and I think actually even an undergrad, but undergrad you go to year, I can apply for a graduate visa hmm. that will allow me to live, to not just live and work here, but like to just to look for work. I don't even need to have a job line. Oh, right. For another two years, they they reinstated that just last year. Mm. They <laughs> because I was I was and I told the you know some of my classmates were didn't know that this visa scheme existed. I was like, it wouldn't have a Brexit hadn't happened because mm, they wanted certain yeah. certain but, yeah they wanted certain people to leave. Mm-hmm. But if you go on the UK Border Force website and you look at the jobs that they are calling essential jobs, it is everything i was like y'all so you're basically saying you just need a workforce <laughs> but yes because i was worried you know there's like a lot of countries have really specific very specific tracks like you know the us you know everybody's everybody's trying to apply for green cards and whatnot certain jobs will only be available in certain places you know um you know if you're willing to live and work in remote places like work up in montana sure you can you know you might have more jobs Fast than track, than right yeah. yeah exactly but like in the uk it is everything it is everything. It's not you know. It's not like oh, you need to have a degree. You need to have this. You need to have that. I mean, Brexit really was so so short sighted. I have appreciated observing European petty when I landed in Lisbon, for example. Like, there's a very clear, big bright sign for like British people that way, and it's with the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> ah, right, it's true. Brits <laughs> want to go to Portugal, right? And so, like, I landed and I saw that. I was like, "Wow, y'all!" They made it very clear you are not in the EU line anymore, my right. friend. You were going that way. <laughs> so I had these little bits. It's so of true. European so petty, true. like like <laughs> going to these places and like oh they're making it really clear that that oh you, you chose them. Yeah, that yeah you decided you brought this on. You yeah. don't want us. We you, don't want you. We don't want you either. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like um, that you said that European petty. <laughs> yeah, like these little small. Like, like is that strictly necessary? It's probably hurting them more because it makes their queues longer at at arrivals in those in those various airports. But no, they don't care. <laughs> They're like, oh, we're gonna make sure. Well, I mean, similarly, that's why we have a person who incited a coup running for president again. Oh man, I saw that. I. I like I was just like, are we are we serious right now? You know, I you know, seeing that, I was just like, oh wow, I am I mean, 
you know, I, I was gonna say, I'm glad I left. Of course, that comes with an asterisk because of course so much of what happens over there is yeah, tied ripples. into yeah. indicative mm-hmm. of many things going on everywhere else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but literally incited a coup and is able to confidently declare a presidential candidacy again. Yeah. And to non-cynically play, um, I think it was, do you hear the people sing from Les Miserables? as he was coming down the escalators um, <laughs> for that, to make his announcement. Um, I saw part of that video and yeah, yeah. And- Oh, wow. You know, I just tuned it out. I just saw the headline. I said, oh, yeah. we knew that was going to happen anyway. Yeah. I, I was like, I think I was on Twitter and I saw, I scrolled past uh, and I was like, sure. you don't even understand what is happening in Les Mis right now. In Les Mis, and I, I was, what, what, what song is he playing? And then I was like, no. Nah. Um, because he really imagines himself to be one of the people. But yeah, so I've, I mean, I know the world just is just getting all the more, getting all the more complicated, yeah. which is why it feels like, I do hope this doesn't come off as, as self-important, but I think that artists, writers are more important than mm-hmm. ever in making sense of all of that. Absolutely. Because we have the ability to tie it into a kind of, sense even if it's not necessarily soothing sense like i i don't see my job as as making people feel good because i think there's just some things like it's important to feel that discomfort because discomfort is the motivator you know like paint it like this like this this is the implication of these behaviors like then maybe you're motivated to change is a strong word but certainly to to think carefully about how you occupy space in your world right and hopefully, like, you know, my my writing does that, you know, hopefully other people's art does that. Yeah. And, and you know, reflects the idea that everything is all sorts of upside down and, and messy. And I think it's going to be more and more important than ever, especially because I, I just I feel like there's so many forces that are sort of like gaslighting people into not into thinking that it's not as serious as it is. Right. Exactly. And I, I, I think that we're not necessarily taking we're taking liberation for granted and that's and that's that's where we need to start to where people are starting to see that it's potentially a challenge and the more the creatives and people kind of point that out that there's there's a citizen responsibility to do something and i think that hopefully yeah. people are starting to feel like they they actually can and will and have to do something so yeah you have to do something you can like all of your choices matter like where you buy from matter mm-hmm. like what you consume matters and you know like yes there's like goods and consumer products or like you know the news you consume the social media apps you can like all of that matter. all of that yes tremendously and 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 the fact that so many people treat it like it doesn't matter is being taken advantage of i mean exactly. i think it's like to i think to nefarious effect right this may be Conversation that gets me in a car accident, oh. but like, you know, I think it is like a nefarious effect that people are are that the fact that people are not thinking about what is what do, what do these consumption choices mean? What do these participation choices or lack of or non participation choices mean? And is that that space for which there's no thought going into it, or is is the space that that honestly that that evil occupies like from and that really truly other things are allowed to happen sure sure on a lighter note yeah <laughs> on a lighter note on a lighter note yeah. let's let's talk about the michelle that is not writing is not thinking about writing yeah. maybe not traveling so i like to ask this question particularly of writers is are you yeah. a reader are you a watcher are you a listener and what are some yeah. of your favorite reads watches or listens yes so i am all three mm-hmm Reading, watching, and listening, all of that has been a bit like tied into itself. I sort of tend to go down these thematic rabbit holes, mm. you know, and it's sort of like where where it, it it was fun and then it became this like intellectual artistic ah, obsession. Okay, okay. I that happens to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So like during the during the lockdowns, I started watching a lot of time loop movies. Mm-hmm. And then I started seeing a whole bunch of implications for like what that meant for like us in this eternal time loop in the lockdown and pandemic. And I started writing about it and then getting paid to write about it, which was really cool. So that mm-hmm. became like 
work, but also thought and enjoyable. Like I taught a class about like the implications of time loop movies and whatnot. Mm, okay. So on you know time loops in the science fiction universe and everything like that. So what I am sort of reading now, or the series of books I'm reading now and podcasts I'm listening to now, Gabor Mate has a new book coming out or has come out called The Myth of Normal. Mm, okay. um, and he has been doing sort of like the podcast rounds talking about mental illness and, you know, mental illness, physical illness, and those, the relationships of those things to childhood trauma. Mm. And what he's largely ultimately advocating for is sort of a of increased self-awareness and increased societal awareness, mm-hmm. you know? And so he talks about how like, can we be, su- we cannot be surprised that there are certain cancers and yeah. diseases that are exist at like at much higher rates in the African-American community and in, in like marginalized communities in very, he, he lives and works in Canada primarily. He, so he focuses a lot on like the, you know, um, communities affected heavily by addiction in Vancouver. But he is like, you know, can we be surprised that these diseases have manifest because that is what happens, you know, it's not that the emotions experienced cause the disease. It is the emotions without proper expression or acknowledgement in a society that's trying to tell you that everything is fine. Those emotions cause stress on the body that in turn compromises your immune system, Mm. resulting in inability to fight back when cells go awry or Mm -hmm. increased susceptibility to you know, sure. other diseases that may, that may invade. And so I've become really interested in, in that and in other, or, or, or personalities talking about similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a couple of his books. I, I read uh, When the Body Says No, mm-hmm. a fellow writer friend. Um, I'm just starting now um, in the realm of Hungry Ghosts. Mm, okay. Um, and that's really heavily focused on addiction, but he talks in a larger sense about the impact of personal and, and societal trauma on health. And yeah, I know that sounds all heavy and stuff, but that's sort of the <laughs> stuff I'm reading. Sure. And then uh, for watching, I I really love The Crown. I And so I just, season five just dropped. Yeah. And so I have been making my way through season five of The Crown. I just watched From Scratch. Oh, okay. It's a... Yeah. So if if I'm trying to truly just be like, you know what, I just need to let my mind, you know, let my mind go, and I'm not I'm not trying to be like writing or overthinking. Netflix seems to be competing with the Hallmark Channel for like <laughs> oh, right. a lot of these, right? And yeah, right. It's all the same thing. Like <laughs> right our business executive moves to the country yeah, to convince her childhood love to sell her land, so her company can acquire or whatever. What happens? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My mistake is that I thought that from scratch was like that. Um, because I had finally watched over the summer Emily in Paris <laughs> or Emily. Oh, Paris, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so, it's so it's ridiculous cute. and sugary and whatever. But I, I don't know. I don't know why I love it. It was so cute. Much. It was cute. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Like, I do the brain deadish stuff. Yeah. Like, not brain dead, but it's cute stories, right? Yeah. So, it's yeah. cute stories. It's not challenging. I thought From Scratch was like that. It is not. Okay. I have it. Is, it is at first, you're, you know, like, like black woman moves to Europe, falls in love, and it's all cute and simple. And it is simple. And then the storyline turns like real. Yeah, and that's what I I've heard. Like, yeah, I'm in the early. Uh, I I've just started, you know, brain time like in the early. So I yeah, I've heard that it's it gets real. It gets real. It gets real, and it's very it it does it well. But that is not what I was expecting when I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is my light, <laughs> this is mm-hmm. my light evening, mm-hmm. even evening post class watch. You know, sure. but uh, yeah, those are the, um, that's what I've been watching. That's what I've been reading and listening. So reading and listening is we're sort of like, yeah, tied together. together. Yeah. Okay. I think watching is really the one where it's just like, okay. Um, I'm thinking about, I, I do want to see Black Panther. Oh right? yeah, you yeah. should. It's good. Yeah. I really want to. So here's the, the deeply emotional thing for me is that I lived in West Philadelphia and there's nothing like going to go see a black mm, movie with a black people. full of black people. Yeah. And like, yeah. so I, 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 I know the experience is not going to compare. Yeah, <laughs> that's just, true. Be yeah. ready for that. 
Yeah. But it's just, <laughs> it's just yeah, I think, I yeah. I saw it last weekend um, here, and it was yeah. a packed theater of, of Ghanaians and drumming, and yeah, yeah it was yeah. an experience. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. It's a totally different yeah. experience. Yeah, so I watched you know Black Panther. I watched like Get Out. Watching that with a theater of black mm, people like that. Just, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so I will see it. I have heard that. I've tried to avoid spoilers, you know. Sure. Um, but I've heard that it is a lot more. It carries greater emotional heft than the than the first Black Panther, or only be, because they're sort of like trying to incorporate the death of. Um. I mean, I know. Was that your? Because there were a lot of people on Twitter who were like, "Oh man, I wasn't ready for that." It's very griefy more than it is. You know. Um, I mean, I can see where where that would be the takeaway, but I've I've like after we were discussing it. Yeah, people were like, I was, I wanted the uplift, more of the uplift of it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it, I, I mean, to me, it was uplifting, but I'm also like a real realer. And so I think it was inspiring in a way yeah. that we actually need to be inspired in a different way. So, I mean, That's beautifully, amazing. beautifully, like visuals, beautiful, all of that. And even the concepts are, you know, so, so I yeah. definitely think that they, to get to the next level with the story, with what is current. And, yeah. you know, that's why I love science right. fiction because I love the way that those people who create those different worlds and concepts are, are looking at what we're doing wrongish and looking at yeah. ways we can, like, how do we solve for some of this? Yes. In a way, so, yes. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I love that, like, the way you described, like, it's uplifting in the way that we need right now because, you know, that's sort of, that's, that's how I approach a lot of my, writing where it's like this is the uplift is in like almost like not quite telling it like it is but in like in just right in, in yes. leaning into the difficulty yes. that yes. is the uplift if that yes exactly exactly you know? um almost like showing to ourselves that we can mm. we can handle this and we can incorporate this into our future going because we've we've seen things as they are exactly All yeah. right, well that actually Oddly enough, inspires me to definitely go see it more. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like the last time I watched Black Panther, or the, I watched Black Panther a couple of times. The second time I um, watched it in theater and watched it with uh, Dad. It was me, my me, my mom, sister, and Dad. And it's actually the last time he went to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And Dad used to have this habit of falling asleep in movies and so when he was very insistent oh no I, I, I want us to go to the movie theater and we we're like you sure you know you're always falling asleep and so we made sure to like schedule it in the morning yeah like <laughs> it was like it's like a 10 a.m showing and everything like that let me tell you dad did not fall asleep yeah he was watching the whole time and I think because the storyline was I mean it, I mean you know dad always had this very mind forward approach like mm-hmm. every, you know everything you know but especially the storyline that part when T'Challa's dad tells him, you know, when they're in the ancestral plane mm-hmm. and he says, a man who has failed to, you know, has not prepared his children for his death has failed as a father. And we're watching this in like February of 2018, right? Like mm-hmm. dad has just had a second operation and like that mortality is like right. super in front of us, you yeah. know, and like in six months he will be, you know, he, he will, he will have died. And that was deep. <laughs> like that was, just, that was just really deep. And you could, I, I sort of was looking briefly aside, like, you know, sure. um, yeah. you know, because that's a, you know, that particular quote in that setting is really important. Malawi was um, like a lot of Africa was very heavily affected by the HIV AIDS epidemic, mm. which means like parent death at a relatively young age is so common. I mean, you yes. know, honestly, I died at 64, like, you know, it, that's a ripe old age in Malawi, you know, like I had my dad all the way through high school and college, well into my adulthood. I have cousins who like didn't make it past childhood, you know, with, with, with both. With a parent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, With a parent, with both parents. And like, and so the unfortunate critical import of like preparing children for your death is, is so, it's also so very like, necessary in Malawi. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's necessarily globally. And I think that particularly Africans, they try to avoid it with not being prepared. Oh, well, it's, it's, you know, tab, not taboo, but it's taboo. Oh, so taboo. Yeah. It is to like not have a will and all those things. And so it really (laughs) creates. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing. Yeah. No, but yeah. 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 So I mean, as long, as much as the hope is things like this kind of help, like you said, that 
that asks or begs of our our elders to do something differently if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did have a, a family friend who recently passed away um, a couple of weeks ago, and um, you know that it was coming for a long time. She was she had been quite ill with with cancer. She had gone beautifully sort of the opposite way. She had left whole instructions for the funeral right down to the type of plates that were to be used. She said mm. no plastic plates, no plastic plates we use at our big funerals. And she said, none of those. I don't want that. It is my funeral. <laughs> she picked out her outfit, everything. I mean it was really, yeah. really, really quite remarkable here, you know, that because it is so again, it's so taboo, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's so taboo yeah. to just be very forward about that. You know, that this is exactly what I what I what I want and need to happen. Um, and it really does save so much, I will say save so much drama on the family side later, yeah. if there is there are very clear instructions and very a very clear will, as it were, for how the future goes and how things will be taken care of afterwards. You know, found that quite admirable, you know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Michelle, you've given me, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, this is a really great conversation. I feel like we can, yeah. uh, you know, I, I hope that we can meet again. And, yeah, and, you know, absolutely. And chat wherever our worlds may cross. Exactly. You know, this, is, this is what's nice about this uh, super global community. Like, I love being able to, like, message people and say, hey, I'm going to be in, you know, like actually after Pedra, I met one of my good friends from that school I went to in Wales, United World College. Uh-huh. Uh, he lives in Accra now with his wife and children. And I was, and, you know, he was away that weekend. So he couldn't come to the sessions, but he was like, you know, if you have time, I was like, actually, we could meet for dinner. You could drop me off at the airport after. Oh, lovely. That's just lovely, right? Like, oh, yeah. I met him in the UK. I bumped into him again before in London many years ago. And we've been at our high school reunion together, actually, just a couple months before that. But now we're meeting in Accra. That's I just I love that about this community. We're just like, okay, name the name the name the world capital, and like you know, see if we can. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. It's very lovely. Yeah. Very lovely. Yeah. So before we sign off, do you have any last words that you'd like to share with our audience for now? So this is related to the. Uh, you remember I talked about time loops earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the essays I wrote, I said that the the truth is, like in those time lit movies where like the, the same day repeats itself, um, like Groundhog Day and, you know, Palm Springs and things, the time loop arrived to show the protagonist that they were stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, so in a sense, the time loop happened to arrive and it was initially frustrating, but the protagonist eventually figured out in all these various time loop movies that they were already stuck. And beginning to observe all these different ways day after day after day for which they were stuck was the beginning of them actually getting out. Mm. And so if there's anything that I would want to share with this global community, you know, there's a lot, you know, I would say that so many of us do, you know, take for granted the ability to move around a lot, but it can still be hard. I mean, I will say that moving to the UK, finally, like getting my visa stuff done and and the actual logistics of the move and like registering for classes and everything like that, you know, that was hard. And I started questioning myself actually, you know, and my job was very happy to keep me. <laughs> they were mm-hmm. like, my boss was like, you can stay, you know, you don't have to put yourself through this. And I was, but I'm very stubborn. I'm like my father, I can't, I can't not finish what I start. And sure. I was like, I will be. And so I suppose in the midst of all of this really chaos, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, this is, this has been a chaotic uh, few years. There is, I truly believe there is, massive opportunity to reach for your best self. I actually, I write a couple of these pieces to say that there is such opportunity in the chaos. And because so many people were, 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 you know, flipping tables. I wouldn't say flipping tables, but like, we're like leaving their job. Like, you know what? I, I, I was wondering why I hadn't yet retired. I've always been saying I want to spend more time with my grandchildren. I didn't do it. Or, or I've been wondering why I've been living so far from my family. I've been wondering why I haven't yet, you know, in my case, gone and done that master's degree that I've been talking about since 2014. And so even, you know, for those of us who, you know, I will say one of the things that perhaps paradoxically kept me in place is that I saw myself as already being an outlier, which I was in many ways, of the type of person who like travels easily, moves easily, you know, can flip passports, bliggity blah, you know, and like go wherever, however, but but I was more stuck than I realized. And so I, I for our 
local community, a term that I absolutely love, I, I, you know, because that's exactly what it is. You know, I'm, I'm writing an essay right now about making airports my home, specifically about Heathrow Airport, really specifically mm-hmm. about Terminal 5. I realized last time I passed through that if I know where the good, good bathrooms are, I've been going through there way too much. <laughs> yes, you've been spending so much time there. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's like, I don't know, that's a good, good bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, I have to ask, which gate, by which gate? So, so actually, so this is now in Arrivals. Okay. The one okay. at the at the south end of the terminal, across from the Cafe Nero. Okay. 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 That okay. is where the um, you see flight uh, attendants in that bathroom, and that's when you know, oh, that's a good, good bathroom. Sure. They're never crowded because unlike the other, You're right? That is a good bathroom. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was like, oh yeah, I've used that one. It's a good yeah. bathroom. Yeah. Because the other ones at the north end, it's it's so close to Marks and Spencer, W H Smith, all. Those it's really yes, crowded. it's crowded, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, all the trains, all the all the exit doors leading to the train. yeah, the transport exactly. Mm-hmm. It's all there. That side, there's nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so people don't think, oh, let me just walk that way. And so it's never crowded. You feel like you can take as long as you want to, everything like that. To you know, the sinks are yeah, yep, 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 everything. yep. So, but that's also when I realized that I, was like, I passed through this airport way too much, you know. So when you're when you're the type of person who knows where the good good bathrooms are at the arrivals level at Heathrow Terminal Five, you can sort of maybe I feel like maybe you can get a little bit complacent, or I did, you know, in that like oh I I'm already living a life that mm-hmm. most people only dream of. I, I don't need to push it further, and I did. So mm-hmm. I would just say yeah, for those of us in that community, you know, and those of us not too, you know, if you've never made that move, like the move can be difficult, but not impossible. And like, I, I really am even two months on, like actually two, today is exactly two months since I landed here. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, 17th. Got here September 17th. And I, I'm, I'm so happy here that I'm worried about jinxing it. You know, like it just oh. makes sense in a way sure. that, you know, I, I, on the one hand, I was recriminating myself at first saying, why didn't I come sooner? But then I said, no, it feels so right because now is the right time. Right. If I come earlier, there would have been things that didn't work, you know, Um, things I hadn't prepared myself for, things I hadn't made my peace with, like, you know, like relationships I hadn't fixed up, you know, my relationship with my money, like, which like needed to be fixed before I could get myself over here. And it feels so right because it's exactly the right time. I'm so glad I made this move. I'm so glad I made this move. I, you know, it was hard to leave my friends and, you know, and everything, but I, I don't, there are no regrets. Right. It was time in your own words. (laughs) It's time. It was time. It was time. I appreciate that's exactly what it is. It's time. Yes. Yes, exactly. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes at localcitizenspod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to say again, folks, like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. It helps people find good content online. And until next time, oh, and also check out the show notes because they're going to be very good. We had such a rich conversation in so many of these topics from things about Malawi to Heathrow to all of the great places that we visited in this conversation will be there. So until next time, bye for now.